fingers cross Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, where we go back to the past and read a comic book from a yesteryear of publishing. You can hear us, or you could hear us, every other week on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast feed. But from now on, you will hear us every Sunday on our own podcast feed, which is housed primarily at ChrisandReggie.Podbean.com, but can also be subscribed to on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and at the bar with no name. Uh, you just have to look up Cosmic Treadmill, Chris and Reggie. Um, we're all we're there. It's uh, yeah. I've I've checked it out. We are ready for subscriptions, or if you get us through uh, Twitter social media blast, you can still pick up our podcast that same way. But uh, sure. yeah, after this week, we will no longer be on the Weird Science DC Comics feed. So you will have to make a change if you want to keep hearing the podcast. Today we have a very special issue, don't we, Chris? We do. This is uh, this begins our Marvel March. We're going to talk about Marvel books to kind of diversify our output here. Yeah. Uh, we've become, you know, <laughs> kind of synonymous with DC. Mm. So uh, we do want to spread our wings a little bit. Uh, this is a request by a listener, uh, LJ Hollywood on Twitter, and we are he wanted to hear us discuss the superior foes of Spider-Man, and so we are going to review Superior Foes of Spider-Man number one. This was released July 3rd, 2013, has a September 2013 cover date, written by Nick Spencer with art by uh, Steve Lieber and Rachel Rosenberg. The cover price, if you could believe it, is a low, low $2.95 USD. Yeah. $2.99 USD. I know. They don't do those anymore, do they? No. So it's all three and four, it seems, over there. But uh, yeah, this is a pretty interesting series. We'll do some author bios as we are known to do. Starting mm-hmm. with Nick Spencer, born May 4th, some year in Kentucky. Didn't get a year. It was hard to even find a birthplace, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, his dad was a comics reader that passed that on to Nick. Spencer says, I wanted to do this when I was a kid. I grew up around comics. My dad was a big comics reader, and he passed it along to me. Some of my earliest memories involve comic books and comic book characters. I always wanted to be a writer all through my childhood and teenage years. I thought that was what I was going to do. I think when I was 18, 19, 20, I did some pitching, did some work with artists, but I was a kid. Maybe my follow-through wasn't what it should have been, and likely wasn't where I needed to be yet. And in fact, while in college, Spencer wrote three pitches to Marvel Comics soon after the Marvel Knights imprint launch in 1998. Spencer says Joe Quesada didn't like the first two, but the third one was a black cat pitch that was a Jackie Brown kind of Tarantino-esque thing. He said he liked that one, but they weren't going to do anything with anybody new at the time. After another pitch was rejected, this time by Oni Press, Spencer went on to work in politics. Yeah, he would uh, run for city council under the Progressive Charter Party in 2003 and 2005. He lost both races. The Charter Party, or the, uh, the Charter Committee, it's a minor political party, uh, the third party of Cincinnati. Members of this party are called Charteries. Mm-hmm. Charterites. Yep. One of those. Maybe both. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> it was founded in 1924 during a time where uh, the Cincinnati government was infamous for being uh, the most corruptly governed major city in the United States. Yep. I don't know who holds that uh, <laughs> esteemed uh, lauded position oh, at this lot, point. Oh, there are a lot of cities probably clamoring <laughs> for that position at yes, this point. they're yeah. vying for it, yes. <laughs> uh, he owned a bar in the over-the-Rhine neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, named Alchemize. That was his bar. He moved to New York City and successfully pitched Existence 2.0 to Jim Valentino of Image Comics. First issue was released July 2009. A second miniseries, Existence 3.0, followed in November. He also wrote Forgetless and Shuttertown at Image. His first ongoing series, Morning Glories, was uh, released in August of 2010. Have you ever read that? I have read it. it it's, uh, that's the school, right? That's the boarding school, yeah. Yeah, the boarding school. I read the first arc of that. I liked it. I didn't love it, but it was, it was okay. It's kind of Sammy, yeah. Um, Spencer wrote the Thunder Agents uh, monthly uh, from a. This was a, when it was licensed to DC at this point, right? Right yeah. before the New 52. Uh, that was this, uh, November 2010. Uh, he wrote a seven part Jimmy Olsen co feature for DC beginning in September's Action Comics 893, November 2010, which concluded in a one shot. They, uh, they collected all of them in one one shot and then concluded it in a second. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, this was during a time where, where everybody was bumping up to $4, and DC was trying to give readers some value for their money, so they added the uh, backups, and uh, they were uh, middling. All right. <laughs> uh, DC Comics initially said uh, he was going to concentrate on Thunder Agents, but Spencer later revealed that editorial didn't like what he'd been turning in. It's for, he was going to write for Supergirl. That's, that's what we... Uh... Oh yes, yeah. from from Thunder Agents. That's it, right. He it, was gonna go it, to Supergirl with issue sixty, but then he, but then he only co-scripted one issue, and they they. But that was a Sterling Gates. Yep. Uh, now he signed exclusive to Marvel in 2011, though the contract somehow allowed him to continue working for everyone else at DC I, Image and IDW. I don't understand it, but okay. <laughs> it must be one of those semi-exclusive contracts that I talked about a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was the end of his uh, professional relationship with DC Comics. Yeah, these these uh, comic book contracts really seem kind of loose, folks. I don't really understand uh, how you can <laughs> sign exclusively. It's, it would be like sign exclusive to the White Sox, but you can still play for the Mets and the uh, Red Sox while you're at it. It doesn't make any sense, but... Whatever. Anyway, on to the artist here, Steve Lieber, born May 19, uh, 1967 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He grew up in the, in the Squirrel Hill section of Pittsburgh. Sounds like a pleasant place. It does. It really does sound nice. <laughs> uh, he says, I was obsessive, obsessive about comics from an early on. One of the big moments for me came when I was at the library reading their copy of Nostalgia Press's oversized horror comics of the 1950s reprint volume. It reprinted a bunch of great EC stories at something close to the original art size. Among them was Krigstein's Master Race. Most of what he had told did in that story was certainly lost on me, but I remember being dazzled by his manipulation of time on the page, and how panels without sound effect could still seem loud or quiet. This was one of the first times I ever found myself consciously paying attention to the choices an artist made rather than just following what a character was doing. Uh, we've actually talked about this exact mm -hmm. comic in uh, our series on the code, the comics code. It was titled The Master Race. It appeared in Impact Number 1, April 1955 by EC Comics. Uh, Lieber studied at Pennsylvania State University, but left there before graduating to finish his artistic education at the Kubert School for Cartoonists in New Jersey. He says, it was a lot of work, 10 classes a week, each with several hours of homework. 
My classmates and I all got better and more professional in a short time. I credit my time at JKS with my ability to draw professionally. I went in there knowing almost nothing and came out able to support myself as an illustrator. I had one class a week with Joe in both my second and third year, and he also made himself available after class to answer questions and give feedback on other stuff we were working on. He was incredibly good at figuring out what changes would make a picture or panel sequence work. He goes on to say the family was split. This is his family he's talking about. I ditched a full-ride scholarship studying business at Penn State so I could pay tuition at the Joe Kubert School in New Jersey and learn how to draw comic books. My father was less than pleased, to say the least, but my mother was supportive. I don't think my dad came around to the idea I might succeed until he went on a trip and saw some Batman comics I'd drawn sitting on the shelves in a store in Hong Kong. I think that would do it. Yeah. <laughs> now, in 1993, he would uh, he drew Hawkman Annual Number One. He subsequently drew 20 issues of the monthly Hawkman series from 94 to 95, beginning with issue five and ending with issue 27. However, you know, issue zero for Zero Hour did happen there, and that happened between issues 13 and 14. Yeah. Uh, Lieber's uh, Hawkman artwork brought him to the attention of Hollywood, where he began doing sketches for the animated TV show Batman. Uh, in 2001, Lieber commented, A big company that owns the characters offers a lot of visibility and the ability to play with extremely well-known icons. Working for a big company, you have to be able to leave the character and ideas behind after departing a project in exactly the same place as when you came in. So you 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 fix the toys yeah. and put them back in the box, basically. which is an important thing to learn. And it is some indeed. people could still learn. I think yes. <laughs> he did uh, Grendel Tales: The Devil's Apprentice one through three with writer Jeffrey Lang for Dark Horse. That was in 1997. Uh, in 1998, uh, this is what I knew him best by. Uh, he illustrated the four part the four part miniseries Whiteout yeah. with uh, writer Greg Rucka for Oni. Um, and that would be adapted into a 2009 feature film starring uh, Kate Beckinsale and Tom Skerritt. Uh, he did uh, also draw the follow-up Whiteout Melt in 2000. Uh, he was the winner of the 2000 Eisner Award for Best Limited Series. Yeah, I was uh, I was really hooked on Oni around the turn of the century. It uh, it offered something a lot different yeah. than uh, than what the uh, the big two and even Image was putting out at the time. At the time, yeah. As a matter of fact, Image kind of came closer to Oni's output over <laughs> they time. Did, yes. Yeah, yeah they kind of cribbed a little bit of their playbook. Uh, now, he would illustrate Detective Comics number 600, I'm sorry, 767. Uh, this was called Timeless with writer Greg Rucka. This was in 2002. He uh, co-authored The Complete Idiot's Guide to Creating a Graphic Novel with Nat Gertler in uh, 2004. Yeah, someone had to do it, I guess, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, he, he penciled Gotham Central number 37, again, another Rucka book, uh, 2005. He... Uh, he had the uh, privilege of doing Civil War Frontline <laughs> 1 through 11 with writer Paul Jenkins from 2006 to 2007. Do you know Captain America doesn't know what MySpace is? Whoa. Well, you do now. Uh, <laughs> we can't blame the artist, though. You never, you no, know, no, it's, no. it's just a gig, that's all. Yeah, he, he was just he was just there. Uh, also, uh, he did Thunderbolts Desperate Measures number one with writer Paul Jenkins in 2007. You know, illustrators are sort of the firemen of comics because yes. they, they just take the assignment and they you know people love them they do what they do even if the book isn't great whereas the writers are more the cops you know mm-hmm. they get a lot of the, they get a lot of the criticism they anyway a lot of the push yeah back to uh, our friend lieber steve lieber uh beginning in september 2009 lieber illustrated the five issue miniseries underground with writer jeff parker for image comics it was described as a spelunking thriller by time magazine yeah. after being alerted to a 4chan thread that posted the bulk of underground 
Lieber stepped into the stepped into the site with a level head that generally won over a number of users before posing posting the same material for free at the underground website, which I think it's still there for free today. <laughs> Rather than berating the thread for pirating the work, Lieber instead answered questions about his career and pointed out that those who liked what they read could buy the book in print. And that worked pretty well among comics fans, you know, having the option, you know, instead of instead of, you know, having it yanked from them and, bastard, be, and yeah. being called pirates and criminals and whatever else, uh, it did all right with them. Uh, Lieber says, he, he, I've been hanging out with other fans on comics message boards since Usenet in the early 90s. I didn't do anything different here. The only secret is to talk to people like they're human beings and don't get bent out of shape if someone says something mean. It's the internet. Someone's always going to say something mean. But it, it's true. I mean, I find mm -hmm. obviously, you know, some people will take anything for free. Sure. Uh, anything. I mean, really, uh, you know, you you could put <laughs> an old tire out and put a free sign on it, and someone's going to come take it. But giving people the option, people will. Some people will take it, and I think that's uh, sure. to, to pay for it. I a, mean. Yeah, such a great way to handle that too, and such a. Uh... Just a level-headed dude here. Instead of turning a whole forum into enemies, you know, he turned yeah. he turned them all into fans. So into I, allies and fans. Yeah, I really I appreciate it. He he went on to say, for me, part of the process of learning to draw was getting some serious criticism from people I respect. No one online is ever going to tear my stuff apart harder than Joe Kubert did when I was a student. When you've had your faults broken down for you by a guy like Joe, the internet doesn't seem quite as harsh. So that's, <laughs> that's great. That was a good uh, lessons he got from uh, Mr. Kubert. <laughs> In April 2012, DC Vertigo published writers Brandon Jerwa and Eric Stephen's Troutman's, Stephen Troutman's military thriller graphic novel Shooters, which was illustrated by Lieber. In July 2013, Lieber began drawing superior foes of Spider-Man for Marvel Comics. Hmm, I wonder how that is. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to tell you the story, or an abridged version of the story of the superior Spider-Man. Blah, 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 blah. Now, Marvel now, in fact, uh, <laughs> was, was the uh, was a publishing initiative uh, announced that was going to follow Avengers versus X-Men, which ran for... God, nine months the year prior? See, it's, 2011 it's, it's or like it ran for 19 months, but okay. <laughs> a long, long time. Now, uh, now this was, uh, we got to make sure that we mentioned that this was about three or four Marvel Nows ago. Yeah. So if you're looking for these, good luck. Exactly. Um, well, there was a Marvel Now, there was a Marvel New Now, right? Yeah, it's a Marvel uh, Now Again, Something Here like Now that. and Forever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Well, they're going into Make Mine Marvel, so at least it's a little different. Uh, anywho, there was a promotional picture that made the rounds when they announced this. The announcement was made in July of 2012. Uh, now, this pub, this uh, promo image featured all the characters who were going to be the heavy hitters in Marvel Now landscape. Uh, we saw a lot of people with eye patches suddenly. I mean, Cable had an eye patch over his good eye or bad eye. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, Cyclops had his uh, more current visor. It's that X shape instead yeah. of just the, the bar. Um, the Hulk was wearing armor because the Hulk needs armor, right? Yeah, he did in that story. The uh, That was the indestructible Hulk, right, by Wade? Yes, I think. Yeah. That, that's when they were giving everyone in the Marvel Universe the last name, dot, 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 agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. So that's exactly he was right, part yeah. of that. I, I, what's uh, weird about this, this is also like less than a year after New 52 Initiative, and yes. I couldn't help but see this being a similar 
thing, you know, like giving the Hulk armor is to say they gave Superman armor, you know, like, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> and speaking of armor, Iron Man had new yellow armor because he was about to go hang out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. Um, also, there was a younger version of Jean Grey present, almost as if she was from the past. Um, now, Marvel told fans that there was a major but less obvious character change in this very piece, which was right under our noses. Well, if you look at this picture, and if you're familiar with it, you'll know that the only character in a full face mask was Spider-Man. So all all eyes went to him, and with pretty good reason. That's right, because in Dying Wish, a storyline that ran from Amazing Spider-Man 698 to 700, cover dates November through December 2012, uh, Dr. Octopus dies and in the process takes over Peter Parker. We're going to try to explain as best <laughs> we can break it down, yes. how that happened. Uh, it, it was this sort of came out of a story thread that, that spun out of issue 600 from July 2009 and Dan Slott is pretty good at doing the foreshadowing I gotta say. He's good at seeding sure. something that'll show up much later even though you might not like what shows up later. It was seeded. It was planned. Um, yes. And remember at this time American Spider-Man was was shipping three times a month for a good, a good amount of time. Uh, Stephen Wacker was the editor and keeping this thing on schedule at a, at a blistering rate for a bunch yeah. of years. They had the brain trust where they were each doing a story, uh, like they were doing a three or four part story each. Yes. And then it would just go right to the next team and right to the next team. It was uh, it was exciting. It, 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 it worked, I have to say. Uh, you know, yeah. and what's interesting about it is, you know, not every story was great, but you kept throwing them out there. You got some yeah. good ones out of it. Uh, it's, it's, and I, it's, I don't like how we got there, but it was it was OK when we so, did. Sometimes, you know, there are there. All that slot stuff is available in trade. And I'd say it's worth a look uh, maybe from the library. Dr. Octopus was dying. That was the thing going on. And so they decide, he decided to implant himself into Peter Parker's body while putting Pete in Dr. Octopus's dying body. So essentially killing Peter Parker. He kind of did it with like one of his octopus uh, spidery things. Octobot. Kind of, yeah, octobots. He kind of like in, did, did, a, did a brain switch, whatever, comic book. That's, <laughs> you can do that kind of thing, brain switches. Uh, in issue 698, uh, this had Peter summoned to Dr. Octopus's deathbed, where it was revealed that Peter, the Peter we've been following the entire issue, was already Otto. In 699, Otto's body continues to degrade, and doctors attend to him to keep him among the living. Peter realizes he can tap into Otto's memories and is able to make a connection with the Octobot that can free Dr. Octopus's associates from the raft. They arrive and free Pete and Otto and plan to take Spider-Man down. In issue 700, it sees Peter Parker's consciousness die. Before he passes, Pete uses the Octobot to force his memories into Otto. This causes Otto to realize the error of his ways. And so, after Peter dies, uh, Dr. Octopus proclaims that he will, from that point on, fight for the side of good. Now he's realized why we should be good and why power responsibility, all that, you know, the deal, folks. Mm -hmm. uh, and he became the superior Spider-Man. And all that doesn't really figure in very much into the book we're talking about, but there, but it is part of another uh, little event that you'll be talking about. Yes, because uh, uh, just a little while later, we had Superior Spider Month. This was August of 2013. It was branded Superior Spider Month because it would see the superior family of titles grow fourfold. Or maybe three and a half fold, because one's a miniseries. Yeah. Uh, we had the main book, Superior Spider-Man, the flagship. 
Leading up to this point, uh, we saw Otto forcibly remove the Peter Parker part of his mind. <laughs> up to this point, we uh, like at the very end of the first issue of Superior yeah. Spider-Man, you see like an ethereal Peter Parker, like he's still in there somewhere. He's still in the um, in the mix, but uh, in the lead up to to this bit, Otto became aware of it and. Uh, hooked himself up to a machine and had that part excised from his yeah. brain. So uh, kind of solidified superior as the status quo. It's going to be, this is the way it's going to be. Peter's never coming back, yada, yada, yada. Mm. Um, we also had superior Spider-Man team up because we need a team up book. Yeah, it was with X-Men and Hulk. Oh, no, oh, no. Mm-hmm. You talk, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about that was the, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is just so like. Every was another thing, that's right. Yeah, this just saw like how 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 would uh, Captain Marvel get along with right. Doctor Octopus, you know? So, I, I guess there was a novelty to it. I, I did not keep up with that book. Uh, we also had a Superior Carnage, which was a five-issue miniseries, and also we had the book we're going to discuss today. That's right. It was Superior Foes of Spider-Man number one. The cover is a nice enough overhead shot of our foes with a weird Spider-Man shadow looming behind them, but the red bar at the bottom does advertise the superior Spider-Man that Chris just mentioned. Thanks to the handy-dandy Marvel catch-up page, we can tell you all about this book. We don't even need to have told you all the stuff we just did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The copy reads, Boomerang, Shocker, Overdrive, Speed Demon and Beetle are not heroes. They're not lovable rogues, and they're not rebels with a cause. Make no mistake, the new Sinister Six are villains, plain and simple. They're liars, cheaters, and thieves. They don't like you. They don't even like each other that much. The one thing they have in common is a shared hatred for their nemesis, the superior Spider-Man, even if he's possessed by their old boss, Dr. Octopus, at the moment. Sometimes that mutual disdain forces them to suck it up and join forces. Together, they are the superior foes of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Well, we, it might be worth uh, introducing the characters up front here. Uh, we got uh, Boomerang, Fred Myers, who, which is the name of a supermarket out here, or it was anyway. Yeah. Uh, he was born in Australia but raised in the United States. We actually do learn a little bit about him. He first appeared in Tales to Astonish, number 81, uh, July of uh, 1966, cover date. Yeah, and yeah, in, in this issue we do learn, this is the only guy we actually learn a few things about. Yeah. The others we don't really know anything about, and they are... Shocker, who is also known as Herman Schultz from New York City, he began his criminal life as a criminal life as a safecracker, then developed a pair of gauntlets designed to shoot air blasts vibrating at a high frequency. He first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 46, March 1967. Mm-hmm. We have Overdrive, a mysterious character that can upgrade and transform any vehicle by touching it. He uh, first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man Swing Shift, May 2007. This was a uh, a free comic book day uh, giveaway. Yeah, and and it seems like this character keeps has kept coming up since, but we have not learned a lot about him over the <laughs> over that time. But maybe that's all for a future. Uh, there's Speed Demon, a real name James Sanders. He's a genius chemist and speedster that was originally called the Wizard. I know that. Speedster is a DC thing, but you get my, you know what I'm talking about. Sure. Uh, originally called the Wizard, first appearance was as the Wizard was in the Avengers number seventy, November 1969. His first appearance was Speed Demon in Amazing Spider-Man number 222, November 1981. 
But wait, we know what you're all thinking. Yeah. The actual first appearance of the wizard was in USA Comics of, number one. Of course. Yes, uh, that's August uh, 1941 cover date, published by Not Yet Marvel Timely. Mm -hmm. uh, then, uh, back then, he was a, a fellow by the name of Robert Frank, who uh, got his super speed after this is this is you know very scientific here. He got a transfusion of mongoose blood. Sure. Yeah. That that I I I'm going in for one today. Why not? Yeah, exactly. You feel like you, you, you feel a little lethargic, right? You need a little mongoose yeah. blood. Well, you know, it's like if, you want B12 or do you want mongoose blood? If Jay Garrick could get speed, uh, super speed from Heavy inhaling water. the fumes of hard water, I guess mongoose blood is okay too. And uh, we also have uh, the beetle. This is a uh, not the same beetle we're accustomed to. I think that was what Abner Jenkins, right? Yeah. The first beetle who uh, became like mock five somebody he became somebody on the thunderbolts um this is uh the female beetle janice lincoln the daughter of frankenstein gangster tombstone uh she's a lawyer turned bad after representing baron zemo this information is actually revealed during the run that we're you know about to discuss the first issue of yeah uh she has a super super armor suit that flies and does things she would first appear in captain america number 607 august 2010 but wait there are actually like chris mentioned about six <laughs> other characters with beetle with the beetle name and exosuit but let's not even bother there are so many of them and they get yes. they just complicate things they he's <laughs> the character's been around is all Yes, indeed, indeed. It's an old property. But back to the comic book itself. Nearly all of it is uh, captioned narrated by Boomerang. Uh, classic suit Boomerang is in Manhattan entangled with a pre-superior Spider-Man, and they're in the midst of a mid-air scuffle. Yeah, and Boomerang does some uh, caption narrating. Pontificating, yes. Yep. <laughs> this guy, right? Spider-Man's the only one anybody ever talks about. Nobody's ever like, hey, what about Boomerang? What's up with him? What makes that guy tick? And hey, why does he keep letting this guy beat the holy hell out of him? Is he mentally ill? Is it a sex thing? How does a loser like that even get out of bed in the morning? Nobody even cares that 20 minutes before this, I was about to pull off the biggest bank heist since Lufthansa. Now, Lufthansa heist was a robbery, robbery at uh, John F. Kennedy International Airport on December 11th, 1978. Uh, an estimated... Was it $5.875 million, which is $21.6 million today, was stolen. $5 million of that in cash, and 875000 of that was in jewelry, which would make it the largest cash robbery committed on American soil at the time. Uh, this was uh, popularized in the movie Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, and, and Boomerang continues, Or that I would have been in the CEDAR if not for that cashier girl getting me with the old line about the downstairs vault. From this point, we slip into flashback, though it's not exactly uh, clearly stated. He just says... Yeah, I know I look a lot younger. Thank you. It's boring. Before he turned criminal, he was a pitcher for the New York Orange Blobs. That's my favorite team. Yeah. Uh, it's de it's <laughs> definitely supposed to be, you know, the semi-Mets. <laughs> yeah. I think they even mentioned Shea Stadium, like, in a different issue, but... The logo is just orange blob. <laughs> yes. Maybe maybe it's the Syracuse version, right? Still that? <laughs> the orange men, right? <laughs> now, it's revealed that he was paid off to throw a game, which fairly well ended his career. Uh, while down and out, he was contacted by the Secret Empire, who gave him his supervillain name and boomerang suit purely because it was, you know, he was from Australia, so why not? Yeah, good enough. But about that, boomerang says... This is why the whole world hates you, by the way. An entire nation boiled down to what you can remember from that time you got high and watched Crocodile Dundee. 
Guess I should be glad I didn't end up some kind of kangaroo guy. What would have been wrong with that? Um, the Secret Empire, incidentally, they're a subdivision of Hydra. They're basically another, yet another, secret cabal of international bad guys. They would first appear in Tales to Astonish, number 81, cover date July 66. And, and is this the one that was revealed that Richard Nixon was the leader of? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. That sounds like it could be, could be right, though. Uh, yeah. I, I get them all mixed up. Hydra, AIM. <laughs> There's too many of them, There's yes. so many. And they all wear, like, you know, full face masks, you know? Yep. So it's uh yeah I don't I don't know I don't know the full deal about them except that they are yet another bunch of bunch of hooded bad guys in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Uh anyway eventually Boomerang drops dime on the Secret Empire and gets them all thrown in jail. He gets to keep his suit and boomerangs though and becomes a supervillain on his own volition. Then saved up for a new costume that makes him look slightly less like a tool. And that's slightly. The, that's the costume <laughs> he wears uh, for the most part in in uh, this issue. Yeah, he's also put together the aforementioned Sinister Six. He says about them, There's the pretty boy driver, Overdrive, a pretty girl thief, Beetle, the new one, an advanced guy who specializes in being a pain in the butt in a room full of pains in the butt, Speed Demon, obviously, oh right, and a coward. You always gotta have one of those. Thanks, shocker. And each member, as he's talking about them, they behave true to the form as described by Boomerang. Yeah, but, you know, uh, Beetle, the pretty girl thief, uh, we, we're not too sure because she's been wearing a full face mask and, you know, cat's eye goggles at yeah. this point. <laughs> I don't know if looks are a big part of her. <laughs> also, Shocker is actually crawling on the floor of this underground casino picking up cash. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, how far? I, I mean, I know he's kind of considered a little bit of a joke, but good God, this is just pathetic. <laughs> uh, Sinister Six is thrown out of the mob joint by a seven-foot-tall guy, although Overdrive gets to walk out in his own volition. Uh, Boomerang comments, and yes, I am aware there are only five of us. Thank you. Team meets up at some squalid basement somewhere to plan ill-conceived crimes. Boomerang reveals his real name to be Fred Myers here in this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem with being a supervillain, says Fred, are the superheroes. He, uh, Boomerang says... No matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, this song always ends the same way. Webbed up, hanging off a light pole. And he is, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Webbed up, hanging from a light pole. Uh, Now in jail, Boomerang tries to get Speed Demon and Shocker to feed his pet birds. Yeah, Shocker says, I would! It's just uh, your apartment! It's really far out! Queens and all! The Speed Demon says... It's creepy is what he means. It smells like internet pornography. It's the kind of apartment smart hookers don't go into. I'm playing him fast. I, yeah, I, I got you. Yeah, good one. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to stumble over this quite a bit. <laughs> <clears throat> and the two make fun of Boomerang for having a pet bird in the first place. What's wrong with birds? I don't know. They got the whole a whole pirate joke here, which is whatever. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's all right. It shows that they're give, there's some ribbing going on here. Yeah, some razzing. Boomerang says... <sighs> you guys gonna help me out or what? You don't even gotta feed him. Lady next door said he would. Said she would. You just gotta pick up the seed from the pet store. Put it in my place. And they decide why not. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. At the pet store. At the pet store, Speed Demon is he's kind of a jerk to everyone. Yeah. Even to a little girl getting a puppy. He says to her, you know, I had a dog just like that when I was your age. Called him Skippy. We used to go everywhere together. Everywhere I'd go. It'd be like, come on, Skippy, and we'd go. Miss that damn dog. Little girl says, what happened to him? Well, one day mommy sold him for drugs. 
dude. That's Shocker, by the way. That's Shocker, yes. It's probably <laughs> worth mentioning that Speed Demon and Shocker are, they're in their, you know, full super super villain costumes, but they are wearing fedoras and trench coats to uh, appear incognito. That, that's always a good way to do it. Yeah. Uh, the little girl explains that her dog's name is Inspector. Speed Demon thinks it's a stupid name for a dog. And he's not wrong. No, he's not. Uh, eventually, Speed Demon and Shocker reveal their true identities. You know, because they are just wearing a fedora and trench coat. And if you take those off, you will see that, hey, there's a whole body stocking. Yes. <laughs> the bad guys proceed to rob the pet store. Speed Demon goes, now give me what's in the register. And and uh, hold on, the Blanton Farms organic no-mess birdseed, that bulk bag. And then Speed Demon takes the little girl's dog inspector as well. She's got to learn. <laughs> Speed Demon and Shocker head over to Boomerang's apartment, four floors above the donut shop, and they're not very pleased that they have got to walk. Yeah, it's a walk. All these flights of stairs. Yeah. Shocker says, Stupid costume. <sighs> Too much padding, you know? You you got super speed. Why don't you just uh, run it up? Hey, do those things get lighter if you start running up the stairs while you hold them? Yeah, me neither. Or, sides, I got the dog. Now, the door to Boomerang's apartment is covered in misdelivery notes, uh, and not to make it things worse, the uh, two of them have forgotten the keys. Speed Demon's able to use super speed to go get him, though, complains about the Brooklyn Queens Expressway upon his return. Actually calling it the BQE. BQE. Do you, do you think that was a good narrative choice for a comic selling worldwide? I want to I wanna ask the listener what they think of that. Anyway, uh, that's something that just oh. struck me. Um, Shocker finds the door was unlocked the whole time anyway. While Inspector tugs at the bird's teeth, Shocker and Speed Demon examine the apartment. In the bathroom, taking a dump, Shocker finds Hammerhead. Uh, he's the head of the Marvel Universe Mafia, which is known as the Magia. Don't overthink it. Uh, first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 113, October 1972. He says, close the damn door, would ya? Hammerhead finishes his business, washes up, and exits the bathroom. Shocker says, Hammerhead, sir! Speed Demon goes, you, uh, forgot the flush. Ugh. Uh, so Hammerhead goes, yeah, it'll smell like crud in here when Freddy gets out, won't it? <laughs> uh, Hammerhead checks out the bag of birdseed, now torn open by Inspector. There are diamonds in the seed. Now where's the rest of it? Rust! Speed Demon takes off very quickly. He leaves like a cloud behind yes. that just says pew so he's, he's yes, gone he, he's out yes. yeah. uh, later on speed demon is talking to boomerang from the hospital where shocker is in traction he got beaten uh boomerang is in jail if you'll recall uh speed demon and shocker are, they're pretty annoyed that boomerang set them up boomerang tries to explain it. he says look i needed to keep hammerhead on line or else this job 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 Boomerang says the jewels they saw were just part of a bigger shipment that comes in next week. Now that the guys have proved themselves, Boomerang figures he can cut them in. All they need to do is bail Boomerang out of jail. Uh, now, Beetle is at a comic book store holding up, uh, <laughs> holding it up for Boomerang's bail money. So I guess I guess bail must be uh, $15. Right, that's probably because that's usually how much, very much, that's how right? much cash a lot of comic book stores will have on hand. So. <laughs> and most of it's in coin. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> manning the counter are Melvin Typical and Johnny Stereotype <laughs> with their hands raised. Yeah, Melvin Typical says she's hot, right? Johnny Stereotype goes. St- Johnny Stereotype goes. 
extremely. Yeah, this is why we can't have nice things, folks, because None at all. of these exact stereotypes. <laughs> yes. Now, Beetle addresses our hapless retailers. She says, I am a professional. I am robbing you at gunpoint right now. Can we maybe keep the topics of conversation to how terrified you are or how amazingly well-planned this heist is? Yeah, shit. <laughs> and then uh, the Beetle gestures, uh, gestures toward a wall of comics with her gun. <sighs> okay, which ones of these are valuable? Well, that depends. What are you looking for? One in 100 variants? Low print run indie titles? Yeah, this is impenetrable. You ain't kidding, sister. Uh, <laughs> now, she has the two do dopes give her a short box of rarities and takes off. Overdrive is outside in a souped-up SUV. Back over at jail, Boomerang's hanging out in the gym when a guard comes over and tells him someone wants a word with him. On his way, escorted by the guard, he sees Hammerhead in a jail cell? Well, look at who it is, Freddy boy. Ain't you a sight. See, you got that wrong. Hammerhead doesn't do the old gangster voice anymore. Hammerhead. See, I was leading up to that. Yeah, you were, you were ready for this. <laughs> Hammerhead changes form first into Danny Trejo. I don't know who this guy's supposed to be. And then into the chameleon, also known as Dmitry Smirnyakov. Yeah, he was. I love these contrasts. <laughs> yeah. He was an associate of Craven the Hunter and a master of disguise. He took a serum which turned his face featureless and malleable, making him even more masterful. First appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 1, March 1963. Chameleon, with his Russian accent, goes, Hmm, well, what can I say, Mr. Myers? I tend to reserve the full method treatment for my paying clients. You're getting your payment, Chameleon. <clears throat> so many promises, so few kept. Chameleon explains, for everyone's benefit, the terms of their arrangement. The Sinister Six, they now work for the Chameleon, free of charge. Uh, he also reveals that Boomerang lied about this big job the, uh, through Hammerhead. Yeah, uh, Boomerang says, Okay, so yeah, if you wanted to focus on the negative, I'm on the hook to a shape-shifting Russian mob boss. That's bad. And yes, I may have tricked my gang into spending their own hard-earned loot bailing me out. Also, I can land them a heist that doesn't actually exist, per se. Boomerang's let out of jail, and the Sinister Six are waiting for him. Shocker's in a wheelchair with a neck brace. Yeah, which is something in this series you might want to get used to seeing. Yeah. Boomerang says, but I'd like to point out I am getting out of jail. And let's face it, jail sucks. I would imagine. Yep. Uh, they all retire to a bar to celebrate Boomerang's freedom. While there, he is punched by one of uh, his nemesis. Uh, he is punched by one of his nemesis from jail. Yeah, but before that happens, he has a little uh, closing... Uh, dialogue here, and he says, But really the thing is, call me nuts. Call me an idiot, but I know. I know in my damn heart of hearts that one of these days it's going to happen for me. I'm going to get the drop on him. I'm going to beat the rap, and I'm going to run this town. Law of Odds alone says it's one of these days it's got to happen, right? My only problem being, it sure as hell ain't today. Mm-hmm. And that's issue one. That's it for issue one. Uh, issue the rest of the series here. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Boomerang keeps lying to everyone uh, that there's a you know a lot of wacky heist attempts and uh, it was humorous at times and it lasted 17 issues. It lasts, yeah. There's a lot of crazy stuff. At one point they have another uh, Marvel Magia guy that uh, 
Silvermane. Silvermane comes in. Just his head, right? Just his head. It's on top of a of a remote control thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the the back and forth with Chameleon is ridiculous. Like the amount of times Chameleon gets tricked by a Boomerang, he should be removed from organized crime for good. Uh, yeah, but much. it's pretty funny. Um, talking with Chris about it earlier, I felt like probably could have been about three or four issues shorter, but mm -hmm. still. Uh, Worthwhile peek if you want to check it out. Sure. Um, we're going to do a little bit of wrap-up on our creators here. We got uh, Nick Spencer. He's written a lot of books from Marvel, and we got ourselves a list. <clears throat> Iron Man 2.0, numbers 1 through 12, February through December of 2011. Secret Avengers Volume 1, 12.1 to 15. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> Marvel point one. I remember when those were actually pitched as being lower in price than the regular books, and now they're either the same price or higher. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you get them for $5 now instead of 4 Um, Those were uh, April 2011 through July of 2011. Secret Avengers volume 2, <laughs> 1 through 16, uh, February 2013 to February 2014. Avengers volume 5, 12 through 17, May 2013 to August. August 2013. Avengers World, which I, I did not like. 1 through 16, January 2014 to December 2014. I feel like he wrote some Avengers comics. You think so? A few. A few handful. <laughs> handful. Um, <laughs> Ultimate Comics Fallout 2 through 6 in 2011. Ultimate Comics X-Men 1 through 12, uh, 2011 to 2012. It's really when the Ultimate Universe was kind of in its... Death throws. Dying which, man, yeah. yeah, it's like it's like if you if you shoot a deer like somewhere where it's not gonna kill it, but it's gonna make sure it limps along like <laughs> for the rest of its life yeah. in pain. That that was the ultimate line. That's nice. Uh, sure. Uh, Spider Island, Cloak and Dagger one through three in two thousand eleven. Uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man 1 through 17, July 2013 to November 2014. Ant-Man 1 through 5, that's when they were trying to make that a thing, uh, January 2015 through May 2015. I, I, I'm sure that was a limited series all along. Sure, right. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Astonishing Ant-Man, October 2015 to now, it's still. It's still, still ongoing, I think. Uh, Marvel's well, in sort of a weird moment flux, right now. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it ran for quite a while, I'll say that much. Yep, and here are the two books that I think most people probably identify with him right now. We've got uh, Captain America Sam Wilson, which was October 2015 through now, and Captain America Steve Rogers, the controversial run from May 2016 through now. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that controversy, because Nick, Nick Spencer is no stranger to online controversy, some of it generated by himself. Some of it? Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that to the listener to decide. But, uh, he is quite vocal on Twitter, mostly about politics, sometimes about comics. And we're going to focus primarily on the comics here because that's yes. what we do. Uh, fans were shocked at the end of the first issue of Captain America Steve Rogers where the titular character says, Hail Hydra, after apparently killing longtime sidekick Jack Flagg. This signified the allegiance with the evil terrorist organization he'd been in conflict with for seven decades. Spencer says, when you decide to do something like this, you understand, obviously, that people aren't going to throw you a party for it. He says, you understand this is the kind of story designed to upset people and shock people and worry people. That's the response you're supposed to have to something like this when you're seeing a bad thing. And apparently that has not had yet to be resolved, even now. Uh, what's going on? I mean, he's like brainwashed or something, but... 
Yeah, but it's like uh, I think most people like have read comics for a little while. And know it's like, hey, this is a story. Well, that, there was definitely that. There was <laughs> there was a lot of ire and a lot of older old time readers were like, what is the big deal here? But yeah, this is a story. Uh, yeah, it's it's nothing to get too too mad about. No, uh, he also lashed out online quite recently regarding the apparent success of DC Comics Rebirth Initiative. He tweeted, "I don't get it. If it's such a smashing success, why are so many being returned? Rebirth is a massive success." Numbers under New 52, uh, Rebirth is a massive success, returns far beyond anything anticipated. Rebirth is a mess. Yeah, but it's, it's probably something that reads better in a, twi- in a tweet, yeah, but he's basically, he's basically I'm, I'm making an ironic sure joke here, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not sure of that. <laughs> because it, it, it's a mess in writing, too. Yeah. Um, he says, my new book, How to Appear to Be a Hit While Actually Making Less Money, can ship as many times a month as you guys need. Eventually, he copped to some bias. Guys, I troll DC because I and many other creators were treated terribly there for years. I like Superman, too. Don't worry. And uh, we're not worried. It's okay. Nobody's worried. Nobody's Nobody. worried about your feelings about Superman. No. Anyway, so uh, do a little wrap up on Steve Lieber as usual. Not a whole lot more to say about the artist, but still doing doing a ton of work. Uh, currently drawing the fix, written by Nick Spencer for Image Comics. Uh, Lieber and his wife, novelist Sarah Ryan, with whom he collaborated several times, live in Portland, Oregon. One of the and he's one of the founding members of Portland-based art collective Periscope Studio, which includes, among many others, Cara Kiesel, uh, Jeff Parker, Jonathan Case, and Joel Jones, which is cool. Mm. Now uh, we're not. We we kicked around a few ideas of what what else we could add to this thing about superior foes of Spider-Man. I think that this sort of falls into what we would call these unlikely superhero supervillain teams in comics, mm-hmm. which itself, Chris, is sort of a misnomer because superheroes and supervillains are unlikely. So <laughs> the te- the teaming of any of them, of niche, yeah, yes. exactly. You know, like it's it's not like oh well, Wonder Woman and. and Superman, that makes perfect sense. It's like none of it really makes <laughs> sense, but some of them are are much weirder than others. And we're sure I, we thought up a bunch, and we're going to try to run down a few of them. Uh, one of my very favorites is the Legion of Substitute Heroes, or the Subs. They're a group of re- rejected applicants to the Legion of Superheroes, which itself is a very weird team. Yes, uh, they banded together, uh, hoping to prove themselves to the Legion. Created by Edmund Hamilton and John Forte, first appearing in Adventure Comics number three hundred six, March nineteen sixty three. Yeah, we also have the uh, the first uh, version of the Guardians of the Galaxy that first appeared in Marvel Superheroes number 18 from January 1969. They were created by Arnold Drake and Gene Colan. Uh, it's one of the stranger comics of the era. The team consists of, we got some odd characters here. We got human, Major Vance Astro, who uh, I know as uh, from the 90s run with Valentino where That's he right. carried Captain America's shield. Um yeah, he, yeah, he, well, he became a whole different character. I can't remember now. He's Major was. Victory. Major Victory. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Martinex Tanaga, a crystalline being from Pluto. Uh, Captain Charlie Twenty Seven, who, who looked like a, like somebody tried to shove a like a head into a jar. Yep. <laughs> and it grew there. Um, he's a soldier from Jupiter. Uh, it's probably why he's so dense. Um, and Yandu Udanta is a blue-skinned noble savage from Centauri Four, which is the fourth planet orbiting the Alpha Centauri B. And uh, as if we had to tell you, each of them is the last of their kind. Of course, they've they've got to have something desperate to fight for, and you know yes. their race is going to be it. 
Uh, another one of my favorite teams, the Defenders. This is an ever-changing group of Marvel superheroes that follow their own agendas, meaning they don't fit on any incarnation of the Avengers. Which is not true today, but at one time that was, that was true. <laughs> uh, these guys were created by Roy Thomas and Ross Andrew, who first appeared in Marvel feature number one, December 1971. It consisted of Doctor Strange and included Hulk, Namor, and the Silver Surfer not much later on. Other members of the crew have included Valkyrie, Nighthawk, Hellcat, Gargoyle, Beast, the Son of Satan, and Luke Cage, Power Man. The, conf- the concept was modified in the 1993-95 series Secret Defenders, in which Doctor Strange assembled different teams for each individual mission. And this all, kind of- all, all based on uh, prices, uh, on value, because uh, all the hot characters got drafted into this book. Oh, really? So it's, it's, it's like, hey, it's going to be Ghost Rider, Nomad, and Wolverine this month. Uh, ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> the, the secret is we're juicing the sales. This mm-hmm. sort of, this, that sort of is what ultimately became the Illuminati, right? The Marvel Illuminati kind of... Maybe, the, maybe uh, the, the Illuminati was, uh, was, uh, was it Doctor Strange, Professor X, Reed Richards, Iron Man... Uh, it was uh, like all like the like the people behind uh, yeah, everything the, else. Well, basically what it is. Yeah, the people behind the curtain. I, anyway, yeah. I, I maybe maybe it's just mentally. I feel like it, it kind of took the long road from this point. Secret defenders, but maybe not. It doesn't really matter. Uh, in certain incarnations of the team, the core four characters were somehow bound to one another, making it as though they were reluctant teammates. Mm-hmm. We also have a, a team that I usually conflate with them, or I used to anyway, the Champions. There's a weird Marvel superhero, a superhero team that first appeared in The Champions, number one, October 1975. This team was created by uh, Tony Isabella and Don Heck. It would include uh, some of the some of the uh, errant X-Men characters who were floating around during those lean years, uh, uh-huh. Iceman and Angel, as well as Ghost Rider, Black Widow, and Hercules, the Marvel version. Um, now, there's a current Champions book that has nothing to do with that one, but that's uh, written by Mark Wade with uh, Humberto Ramos on art. Now, during Marvel's The Initiative, initiative during a <laughs> Civil <laughs> During Civil War, the the less bad one, uh, Matt Fraction had hoped to relaunch the Champions. However, at that point, there were legal issues keeping them from using that name. They would uh, have to settle on The Order instead. Do you think it was Champion Sweatshirts? I wonder. They came at them? Anyway. (laughs) uh, After Batman quit the Justice League in disgust, he assembled a wacky team of heroes collectively known as Batman and the Outsiders, created by Mike Barr and Jim Aparo, first appearing in the Brave and the Bold 200, July 1983. And this team consists of Geoforce, Katana, Black Lightning, Metamorpho, and Halo, and, duh, of course, Batman. And you just reviewed their second issue this week, I believe. Yeah, that book is way more fun than it has any right to be. For that sure. Is such a such a great book. Such a great book. We also have, uh, sticking with DC here, we have uh, spinning out of the 1987 DC Comics crossover Legends, uh, Keith Giffen, J.M. DeMatteis, and uh, Kevin McGuire put together Justice League International that first appeared in Justice League Volume 1, Number 1, May 1987. The initial team had uh, Batman, Dr. Fate, Guy Gardner, Captain Marvel, Booster Gold, uh, Booster came a little bit later uh right. blue beetle uh black canary and also uh dr light the girl that's version. right that's right she was I, I i had that wrong here uh but i gotta say a bit stupid is we we both read that but just hearing that lineup gets me excited 
Doesn't it? I'm like, oh, wow, what a cool, what a crazy bunch of guy people to throw yep. together. I love it. Yeah, and also uh, Mr. Miracle and Oberon were in there. It's That's a right. really fun run there. Uh, uh, Martian Manhunter, yeah. Um, now, due to the character revamp spinning out of Crisis on Infinite Earths, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the Magnificent Seven characters were off limits, owing uh, partly to this uh, Motley crew here. Uh, we've got a quote from Keith Giffen, which he included in the introduction to the first Justice League trade collection. He says, uh, I think it was like a new tomorrow or a new day or something like that. Um, he says, this would be a return to the greatness for the group. Uh, the revitalization of a superhero team featuring the best and brightest of the DC universe. Make it big, he said, and that's, uh, I think it was uh, Dick Giordano, right. uh, patting me on the head, and make it great. I left his office feeling I'd received the mandate I'd been looking for, to reunite DC's most powerful heroes in DC's flagship team book. The picture filled my mind. Superman. Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, all together. It would be great. Except Superman was currently under renovation. Mrs. Byrne, Wolfman, and Ordway politely told me to keep hands off. Wonder Woman was undergoing the same treatment courtesy of George Perez. Ditto for Mike Barron and the Flash. So much for a turn to greatness. Destiny knocked, and no one was home. That's so. It's so interesting, though. You know, it's like it really, yep. it really just came out of a situation and made necessity. Yep. I, you know, I really, you know, we neither, we both can't recommend that enough. We we love this oh, uh, JLI, especially the uh, initial arcs are mm-hmm. well worth checking out, and they're out there in trade paperback or whatever else on digitally. So. Uh, Highly recommended. Uh, next team, this is a Marvel guys. This one's a little stranger because these guys were all created for the team. These aren't a team of existing strange characters. Yeah. But I've always kind of dug them as kind of a weird aside in the Marvel universe. That would be Damage Control. This is a fictional construction company that specializes in repairing the property damage caused by the conflicts between superheroes and supervillains in the Marvel universe. They were created by Dwayne McDuffie and Ernie Cologne, first appearing in Marvel Age Annual Number 4, June 1988. It's amazing that Marvel Age, the in-house yeah. trade publication, had annuals. I know. And introduced characters. <laughs> Back over at DC, we got the uh, Secret Six, which uh, isn't the team you're thinking of. Uh, initially, it was a like a multi-ethnic group of uh, covert operatives working for the military. This is the uh, 60s uh, version here, uh, May 1968, to be precise. Now, the modern version fit more into our unlikely teams uh, assortments here because it's a, uh, a wacky B-list villains all conglomerating. You got, like, Catman and Ragdoll. Uh, eventually, you know, some A-listers jumped in, like Bane, but uh, yeah. they weren't as interesting as the uh, as the more uh, wacky ones. And then she, she made a few characters. She made a daughter for Vandal Savage. Scandal yeah, Scandal Savage. Savage. Yeah, a, lot, yeah. a, lot of, a really weird motley team. Yeah, and this was uh, created by Gail Simone and Dale Eaglesham, and it uh, first appeared in, uh, not in Secret Six, but in Villains United, number one, uh, July uh, 2005, which that tied into uh, Infinite Crisis, I believe. Yeah. Or uh, as a result, or a lead-up, or one of those. I think I think it came out of Infinite Crisis, and there were a bunch of stuff that came out, and this is one of the better things. Uh, yeah, the yeah, best, was, probably. Yeah, yeah, there was, and uh, I'm a big fan of Secret Six, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. but anyway... Uh, second incarnation of Guardians of the Galaxy was created by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. First appearance was in Annihilation Conquest number 6, April 2008, and this is the one we're mostly familiar with in the present day. Initial team consisted of Star-Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Quasar, Adam Warlock, Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, and Groot. And uh, there was a movie, if you might, you might know about it, with a sequel due out May 5th of this year. 
and mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty excited for it. Chris uh, it can't watch movies by law, but uh, yeah, it's uh, if, if he did, if <laughs> if he was allowed to, that he might like uh, Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. So this is this is what we came up with for some weird superhero teams. But we would like to know what weird superhero teams you guys know that we did not yes. pick here. And you can let us know by writing to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find our writings uh, nearly every week on weirdsciencedccomics.com. And don't forget now, uh, after this week, we are only going to be hosted on our own feed, which is really kind of mainly housed at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Please subscribe there or iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find it most convenient to get your podcasts. Yes. You can follow me on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. And every week I'll tell you then, I'll tell you now, you should go read uh, Chris's personal blog. Chris is on infiniteearths.blogspot.com, which is about to hit its 400th post. In fact, yes. when this podcast is uploaded, your 400th post will probably be there. Be live. Yep. So I'm not going to reveal the amazing what it's going to be, but I will reveal that mm -hmm. this week he did review a Jerry Lewis comic, which I did made me incredibly happy. Uh, the more <laughs> the more exposure those comics get, the better for the for the world. I hope and uh, <laughs> and you actually ended up thinking it was okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> I, th I, I think you know you, you got to go in knowing it's going to be you know a, a goof. Silly. Yeah, yeah, and it was. So you were like, all right, well they didn't they didn't cheat me on that one. So <laughs> I was uh, prepared. Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's cool, but definitely got to check that out. It, it's in many ways it acts as a corollary to our, the podcast because mm -hmm. uh, Chris will often either review the comic that we're doing or comics that are related or even go beyond the one comic we did and talk about other comics in the run of whatever yep. issue we're doing. He won't do it for this because it's a DC Comics blog, <laughs> uh, but in but generally it, it does happen. Yeah. So I really recommend you go check it out. Uh, again, Chris is at infiniteearth.blogspot.com. Uh, just want to remind you a third time, this is this is it for being on the feed of WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast this week. Next week we will only be on our own feed, so please remember if you can to tap that mm -hmm. subscribe button. But I think that's all we got for him this week, Chris. You got anything else? Got anything else for him? Nope, uh, that's it. Just uh, stay tuned for our next three Marvel reviews. That's right. We got Marvel all this month. It's Marvel March Madness. I just mm -hmm. threw in the madness for the basketball connotation, but. I don't know how. I thought it was the Randy Savage kind of thing. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah. It's madness. Uh, but anyway, until next time, I want you to keep it on the treadmill criminally. Hold, always in this stress mode. That's the you to the play. So you think I don't know?